0: You're always fighting against the alternative that every consumer has, which is to do nothing, be nothing, say nothing. Doing nothing repeatedly will turn you into nothing. It's disaster. And so we have to bring a gun to that knife fight. We have to bring every single ethical tool that we can possibly muster to help the person that we know should buy the product. You tell somebody who's overweight to lose weight, you say, it's really simple. It's just calories in, calories out and you will not help anybody. The information is not the reason that they're struggling with their weight. It's not their misunderstanding of what a calorie is. It's emotional. There's a whole complex set of issues involved that need to be unpacked that will make a transformational difference in that person's life. And so we need to spend more time on the psychology and on the emotion, and less time on on the how-to and the information.
1: What is up, Young and Profiters? You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, where we interview the brightest minds in the world and unpack their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. I'm your host, Hala Taha. Thanks for tuning in and get ready to listen, learn, and profit. Hey, Jason, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast.
0: It is a pleasure to be here. Hopefully I qualify as young enough.
1: (laughs) I've got uh, people of all ages who tune in and people of all ages who've been on the show. A lot of your people that you've worked with, like Alex Promozzi, has been on the show. So yeah, fam, today we have Jason Fladlin, known as the quarter billion dollar webinar man. Jason is one of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world. He's known for his cutting edge marketing techniques. In fact, Joe Polish has called him one of the top five living marketers on the planet. Jason started his career during the dawn of the internet. Since then, he's built up an impressive resume, including selling over $500 million worth of products and services using webinars. He released a best selling book, One to Many The Secret to Webinar Success. And he also co founded Rapid Crush, where he delivered the most successful affiliate product launch in internet history. Jason is often called by eight and even nine figure companies to help them with their marketing. And to date, he's the only marketer Zoom specifically brought on to help its user base with webinars. In this episode, Jason will share his fascinating come up story from becoming a monk to one of the best webinar experts in the world. We'll learn his framework for putting on a successful webinar and how to create a webinar that inspires, transforms and converts. We'll also get his best copywriting tips and we'll learn how to leverage human behavior in our marketing efforts. So Jason, I love human behavior. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about on this podcast, as well as marketing. So excited to have you on. So I first learned about you from Alex Trimozzi. Like I mentioned, Alex Trimozzi came on the show a couple months back. He said he's learned a lot from you. So I knew that I had to get you on the show. And so I know that you've worked with a lot of famous marketers, for instance, Russell Brunson, Kevin Harrington, Bob Proctor, Joe Polish, to name a few. And so I'd love to understand Some of the people and companies that you've worked with in the past, uh, just to sort of lay a foundation for my listeners.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you pretty much named them. I mean, we helped Zoom, which was really cool before they right two months before they IPO'd, they brought us in. And the whole the whole premise of that was their meeting side of their business is obviously phenomenal. What they were noticing on the webinar side of their business is if people don't do webinars, they don't stay members of the Zoom webinar software subscription model. So we had. Pitched them on the idea that, well, if we taught their members how to use webinars, and in fact, if we could prospect their members and write and create webinars for them, then they would be able to use the system more and that could grow that part of Zoom. And Zoom agreed to that. So they brought me in and I did some training for them as well. And I have really impacted a lot of different people, not directly through training it, but through my educational programs and my writings over the year. Like with Russell, I wrote a book a while back, an ebook, like, you can't even find it anymore. It was like 10 years ago. And he said that that was the inspiration for him to write expert secrets, which I don't know. Oh, wow. Hundreds of thousands, maybe a million plus copies sold at this point in time, all because of, I taught in my webinars back then on how to break belief patterns and how to form stronger belief patterns in their place, kind of as the genesis to making the sale. So it's just, I've been in the game for 15 years, which in in one instance, isn't that long, but in another instance is I was able to get there before things were figured out and then help figure them out. And so I have the benefit of just being here for a long time and refusing to quit.
1: I was really curious to understand how you learned all of this material. Was it self-taught? Because all of the great marketers of today, Alex Ramosi, Russell Brunson, these are people that a lot of us look up to as entrepreneurs, online entrepreneurs. Who did you learn from?
0: Yeah, I mean, most of this was self-taught. If I had to learn from anybody, it was to take what they were teaching over here, break it down and build it up for over there, right? So I was a huge student of Dan Kennedy, but he didn't teach anything internet and he was famously anti-internet. I was a huge fan of, of Zig Ziglar, who we end up working and doing some work with their foundation through Kevin Harrington. I took his sales closes in a one-to-one where he was selling pots and pans, right? and figuring out how to extrapolate that and design a system to sell it one to many on the internet. And Richard Bandler was another one who was a co-creator of NLP. And I was learning through him and then as an extension through Milton Erickson, who was really the inventor of conversational hypnosis, but they were using it mostly in a therapeutic setting. So again, the idea was how do I decode it from over here and then re-encode it over there? So that was really my great magic trick was figuring out things that worked in this capacity and then figuring out the nuances of adjustments of how they could work in that capacity. And they wouldn't work at first. And then I'd say, okay, what happened? Let's try it again. Let's reconfigure it this way. Let's go at it. And that's really where I got most of my insights was on the battlefield, not in the laboratory.
1: That's really, really cool. So I went on your YouTube and I found this analogy and you say where other marketers try to find out the best recipes and how to become a better chef, you figure out how to get the best ingredients in the first place. Because the best victories in business are won by knowing when and where to play. So I love that analogy and I think it's a great foundation for my listeners in terms of what you do for a living.
0: That's spot on. I try to be strategic in my thoughts. So I want to not improve and get a better result. <laughs> and then teach you how to do the same.
1: Say that again? Sorry.
0: Yeah. So so everybody when they try to get a better result, they try to get better first, right? So I'm going to put in all this effort in. And- and I'm going to work really hard. The, here's the analogy I always give. If we want to make more money in poker, we could learn game theory, probabilities, mathematics, how to bluff and read other people, et cetera, et cetera. Or we could just find tables where there's really bad poker players who bet a large amounts of monies and don't care if they win or lose. And so my first principle of trying to play the game of business is where can I stay the same but get a better result? And then once I exhaust that, then I can look at where do I need to improve to get a better result? And then more specifically, what's the least amount of improvement with the least amount of effort that could get a better result? And then after all of that's exhausted, then I'll consider actually working really hard. And then I try to teach that to my clients too. So I I do that for my clients as well. And they really like that because it's, it's counter to how everybody else is doing it, which they look at it backwards. What more do I need to take on? What more do I need to work at? Where am I deficient? Where do I need to seek improvement out? And I'm always like, where do we subtract things? Where do we do less, not more as a default principle? And that's really served me. And that's helped me then have impact on other people along the way, simply because the way I look at problems is completely different. So I get different insights than other people get.
1: Yeah, I love that. I'd love if we could stick on this for a second and maybe get an example of how you helped somebody pivot their strategy where they weren't really necessarily working harder, they were just being smarter about it.
0: Yeah, so we do these launches all the time. And I was just talking to a client the other day and he was struggling with this. And I told him, yeah, of course you're gonna struggle with it because it's not a marketing model that's easy for you to like funnel hack, for example, because you don't see it, nobody does it. But we like to launch these these beta launches for pretty much everything we do. I like to sell products that don't even have names yet. What to speak of members area. The concept is so fresh and I wanna put it in front of just some people to see if it grabs or not. So the type of marketing that we're doing in these situations almost always goes like this. I don't know if this will work or not. I think it will, but I need you to try it out to see what happens. If it plays out the way I think it will, then, oh my God, this will be a game changer for you. And if it doesn't, here's all you're out. You're out some time and maybe some money. And I really pointed at who I feel are going to be the tastemakers or the people that are going to need the least amount of effort to get the best result or that are already predisposed to be super successful. So I'm rolling out campaigns like that. Now, here's why I'm doing this. The number one way you can sell anything is with the customer result. If you don't have any customer results, good luck. But if you have so many customer results, it's ridiculous. Then you don't have to be that good at marketing to get the benefits of marketing. I mean, I'm here as a result of the impact that I had on Alex Hermozy. I didn't have to go and chase you down and and beg to get on your podcast. Like you hit me out of the blue. I saw it. I'm like, damn, this is a good podcast. I want to be on this thing, right? (laughs) That's how I like to play it. So we have to create success stories first. And so what's great about the beta launch approach, like I told you, I don't have to have a name for the product yet. I don't have to have a fancy sales funnel for it. I don't have to have a members area. We'll sometimes tell audiences. In fact, we're like, we don't know if it's going to be three, four, five, six, seven, or eight modules. I don't even know if I can teach it exactly. So I'm going to have to teach module one, two or three or four times, right? But what's beautiful about this model is it, it sets us up so we can see if we can get success stories or not. That's the first thing. The second thing is you will learn more about what matters to your customers by being interactive with, with them than you ever will with any other type of market research that exists. Getting your hands dirty, using that back and forth. You in fact are enlisting customers to force upon you what the best results are. So they're giving you the answers as opposed to you trying to give them the answers. And then what I really like, and this is what I was telling the client of mine, his name is Justin, because Justin's like, we're gonna, we're gonna launch this in beta like you're saying, Jason, because here's the exact scenario that was playing out on his mind. He's built up this really successful e-commerce business and he's just killing it over there. But he's got this itch that won't quit. He also wants to coach people to start an info style business because he's running, you know, he's using info marketing to sell e-commerce stuff. So he's like, I want to be a coach. I want to help people as a business coach, not just teach them how to launch their own e-commerce brand. And I said, cool, this is the way I would do it, Justin. And I told him about this beta launch. I don't know if this will work or not. Maybe I'm good at it. Maybe I can do it. I don't know if I can teach it or not. I'm only looking for a few of you to try this on. Here's the criteria that you need to meet in order for me to even consider this with you. And I just want a handful of you for now, just to make sure I, I actually like doing this model when it's all said and done. Now, all of this should be true because... If you think about it, it it makes a lot of sense. I see this with clients all the time. They always think the grass is greener on the other side, or they think that this thing is going to be as easy as the other thing that they did, forgetting all the effort it was to get the other thing to roll down the hill and turn into an avalanche, right? And so all of this is systematically true. It's also exciting, though, because your customers feel like they're part of the creation process, which makes them even more likely to want to join. And best of all, in my opinion, is what does everybody want? What they can have. And so we set a demand supply skew immediately where there's a whole bunch of you. I'm only going to take on a very tiny few of you. And now people are stepping forward saying, I want to be part of that. And they're they're going to convince you that they're going to be a good customer and that you should take their money as opposed to you convincing them. Now you run one of these betas and if it fails miserably, fantastic. You can pull the plug on the damn thing and move on with your life, which is good. Better to learn fast that this was the dead end that you shouldn't invest too many resources in. If it just completely knocks it out of the park, then you change everything else in your business to accommodate because you're like, it's raining money right now. I better go catch as much of that as possible. Or most often, it does good, but there's room for improvement over here. And there's things you now know that you didn't know before. And so we go back to these same audiences and we'd say, hey, listen, it went really well, but we're not quite sure if we just got lucky or not. So we're only going to take on a few more and we're going to validate it and try it again just to make sure that there's really something here. And now everybody's dying to get in. And you take a few more on this time than you take on last time. And then this allows you then to know everything about how to sell the product, to know how to position the product. It gives you the success stories. It helps you lay out all of the curriculum exactly as it should be or shape the offer, however it needs to be shaped. And then you launch it big. And that's what I like about that. It's so much easier and it's so much more effective.
1: I love that strategy. I love the strategy of a beta launch. It's so funny. I launched a LinkedIn masterclass and it did really well and I did use this beta strategy in the beginning, but unknowingly, I was like I only have 20 seats, so I'm going to try it at first, see what happens, and people were jumping for it. It was so e- it sold so quickly. And then now the fourth time around, I feel like just based on what you have said, I've made it too accessible. I need to figure out how to <laughs> how to make it less accessible and more like People want what they can't have. So that's right. Yeah. So let's talk about before you became the webinar man. Like I said, you're known as the the quarter billion dollar webinar man. I read that you were actually pursuing a rap career beforehand. So tell us about why a young boy in Iowa was into rap music.
0: Well, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I don't know. Right. I guess the, the heart wants what the heart wants. So. I always liked to rap. As far back as I can remember, seven, eight years old, I was rapping in front of people. And at that point in time, it was the only passion that I had in my life. Now, I'd always kind of treated it as a hobby, though, because I had a very tough upbringing as a child. Many years later, I got my brain scan by Dr. Daniel Amon, who's like the foremost expert on the thing.
1: Yeah, he came on twice. I love him.
0: Oh, you got, you got him. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's the GOAT. He's, he's the greatest. And I'll never forget that, because Aven sat down. He came in with me, and he had his like, lab coat on and everything. Uh, we were in his office, and he, and he tells me that uh, I have PTSD. And he said, this is literally what he says. He goes, you've been through a lot, because I had to take an intake form on all these traumatic experiences I had in my life. And very clinically, because I was so disconnected from them, I was like just writing them down. like It was just a like, shopping list. And he says to me, you've been through a lot. And I go, no, nah, not really. And he goes, trust me, I've done this thousands of times. When, you, when I say you've been through a lot, you've been through a lot. I go, oh. So I had a very challenging childhood. It, it gave me PTSD as diagnosed by Eamon and also ADHD as diagnosed by Dr. Eamon. So I was a monk. I became a Hare Krishna monk, which is like, I don't know if you can see it, but I had this on my desk, like a Balaram statue, which is part of the the philosophy or, or the flavor of the spirituality side of, of Hare Krishna. And I, was, I became a monk because I was so shattered and so depressed and so anxious, had tons of, of panic attacks. And that really cleared my mind. That really helped ground me and connect me and heal me. And that made me want to then pursue a rap career as full as I possibly could. Like I was firing on all cylinders. The only problem was I was selling a product nobody wanted to buy. And I didn't know that at the time. But the good news about that is it forced me to focus on what needs to happen in order for me to be successful in the business of music. And that's when I came across marketing and I fell in love with it. Before that, music was like the only thing that really turned me on. And the marketing, the psychology of why consumers make decisions, similar to what you said earlier about human behavior, right? That just enraptured me. And so I was trying to apply that originally to my music business and I was having mixed results. And then I said, you know what? I, I'm just a fan of information and education and learning and very curious. Let me see if I can apply that into like an, an information business. So I tried and, and it didn't do very good for about a year. And then I, I got so desperate because I was so broke at the time. I was painting houses for somebody else. It was a miserable way to make a living, but I tried, to, I tried my business online in the morning and at night. And then I'd paint during the day. And I finally got so desperate I just decided to write articles for other marketers as a ghostwriter and that worked well. I started making some money but I just traded in one job for the next. Or at least I was working for myself but that got monotonous after 6 months of writing about weird things like microdermabrasion and buckwheat pillows and plus-size lingerie. I mean crazy, right? So I decided to write a system on how I was writing these articles so fast cuz I could write a decent article from scratch on a topic I didn't know anything about and do it very quickly. So I documented that, created a little ebook, it was like six, seven pages long, and I'd never wrote a sales letter in my life prior to that, so I didn't know how to sell the thing, but I went to a forum, an Internet marketing forum, took out a classified ad, and put that on there as an offer. I basically said, I think I could cut your write- article writing time in half the first time you read my ebook, and it's only four dollars for you to find out. And that was almost the whole pitch. There was very little extra added on, but people bought it because it was so damn cheap. And I was honestly scared out of my mind. That's why I priced it so cheap. I didn't know how to sell it. I, I was afraid that if people bought it and didn't like it, that they would hate me. And then turn, they actually loved it. So they bought the product. They were excited about it. Since it was on a forum that I advertised, they were writing about it on the forum. So I had like web media, oh, social media 1.0, right? So I started getting people talking about it, getting referrals from that. And I thought, all I got to do is just create these products. I call them one, one, one products, one problem, one very specific, narrow focus problem, one solution. I'm just going to teach you one way to solve it, not three or four or five or 10. And then I'm going to create the product in one sitting. So I have to be able to sit down with a blank screen. And then when I stand up, I have a finished product. So I did that for the next year. And I just launched product after product after product after product. I was just trying to make money. What I didn't realize is where I was starting to develop different skill sets and building these different little micro systems. So here's my system on writing articles, and then here's my system on writing emails, and then here's my system on writing the sales letters for these products I was creating, and here's my system on creating the products that I was creating, you know? And all of these different systems started to be able to combine together, which then brought me to webinars. So, First webinar I ever did was not a sales webinar. The pitch was really clever. Uh, It was just essentially says, I want to try webinars out. I've never tried them before. I think it's a really powerful way to help you. But just to humor me, because I don't know what I'm doing here, I'm going to try to create a product live on a webinar. If you show up, it's a free webinar, then I'll give you the recording. So you'll get a paid product for free. If not, you'll have to buy the product later. And that was how I first started with webinars. The first webinar I ever did, 17 people showed up to it. It was in September of 2008, I believe it was. I still have, I dug out the email not too long ago just to pull it out there so I could think and specifically quote how much I had for people on the webinar. So it was not that many people on, but I, was, I thought it was a lot. It seemed like a lot to me at the time. And I taught, I did a webinar that was two and a half hours long and it was just, just pure content. And I sold that product later. And that product sold really well, which was a lesson to me. People didn't show up for free. I came back to them saying, remember, I told you I was going to sell this product later. I am. It's going to be $37. However, if you buy it uh, in the next 48 hours, it's just 27 bucks. And that product sold more at the time than any product I'd ever sold before in my life. Because people saw that they could get it for free, missed it, gave them a second chance. And the pain of wanting to miss it again was too great. So they paid for it. That got me into webinars. I was like, damn, I just, I'm teaching live what I used to teach in products that I was creating these little products that I was paying for. So it was a nice, easy transition to webinars. And then from there, to really bring us up to speed on the pitch webinar, from there, the second time I really used webinars was as fulfillment. So I thought, you know what? Can I sell a series of webinars? So I sell a product that I'll create via a series of live webinars and that worked good. And then finally, I used a webinar to sell a series of upcoming webinars. And that was the first time I ever did a webinar where I pitched a product on it.
1: Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. What's up Yap Bam? Being an entrepreneur and working remotely definitely has its perks. And I know a lot of you listening in are in the same boat as me, but do you really take advantage of being able to work from anywhere? You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash profiting. It's so amazing to hear your story and hear how you just like learned a little bit, then you learned more, then you learned more, then you stacked it up, then you sold that, then you stacked it up. It's like it's really cool how you did it. And I know that you are the pioneer of something called e-classes, which in my mind is sort of the precursor of masterminds. I have a mastermind. So many influencers have a mastermind now, but you are actually the pioneer of it. Tell us about your e-classes.
0: Yeah, I mean, and what's so fascinating is I don't regret this anymore. I used to. I realize this is just my personality. I, I make these big discoveries and then I move on and make another discovery and I don't stick to it. And so the E-Class was a model that I could have really built out and went nuts with. I have a quote from Alex Hermozzi. He wrote the book, $100 Million Offers, right? which in my opinion, is I believe it is the best book on marketing that exists. And it's, I think, the best-selling book on marketing on the whole planet right now. I have a quote for him that says, my course he bought for me called Genius Webinars, he said it was the greatest course on offer creation he ever seen. So he took what i was using so i was just teaching offers in the context of webinars and he blew it up and he stuck it through and he really built it out and he took it to the next level right i can cite example of example of example of that and 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 so the e class to me was that model of using a webinar to sell a series of webinars and i thought that, that i mean it was it was a great way for us to work it and make some money i never thought about making that a system i could have built software around that i could have totally doubled down that and, and optimize for that, because here's where the insight came from. So I, I, at the time, because I was writing sales letters for all these products I was launching, I developed a little uh, copywriting system, and it was 12 steps. And so I said, you know what? Everybody who buys a $17 product, the product was called three-hour ad, uh, how to write near-world-class copy in three hours or less, was essentially the premise of it. And people would buy that and they'd love the product for 17 bucks, but they would, a lot of people would ask me, I want more examples, Jason. Can you go more in depth on this thing over here? Can you break this out down more? I want to see this in action. And so my connection was when I did that first webinar for free, which was on time management for internet marketers of all things, not a great topic, but people liked it. I thought, huh, what if I took the 12 steps of my copywriting program, turned that into 12 webinars, a series of webinars, one per week for 12 weeks, and then sell that exactly back to the same people who just bought the front-end product, the ebook, the $17 one. And so I call that, that an e-class, copy e-class. And then I did product e-class. We just, hilariously enough, because I, I launched product e-class like in 2008 or 2009, we just relaunched it again. That thing's been going for 14 years now, and I updated it every couple of years. But this concept of these e-classes where people pay in advance for a series of webinars that are done virtually over a period of time, what I didn't know, all of this I learned in hindsight, I'm just taking action and seeing what happens and, and just trying to optimize for it, is it made sense how easy of a pitch it was. If I can give you one webinar for free that gives you a taste of what it's like to be on my webinars, and then say, if you like that, here's 12 more of them, which is, by the way, I learned too much. I learned that later on. It's like six to eight is ideal. But it's, you're selling a taste of what it's like to be your customer before somebody has to be your customer. And if they enjoy that taste, then you've essentially sh- given them the, the product before they have to pay for it. So there's no risk involved for them to pay. It's an easy sell to make if you do that right. So that was the foundation of e-classes, was the ability to sell a product in advance of having to create it, create it in real time on the fly via a series of webinars and then use a webinar inception style to sell a series of webinars. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. So I think this is a great place to transition into actually how to execute a great webinar. So I recently had Chris Voss on the show it was the fourth time he came on Yap. And one of the things that Alex Hormozzi always says is give away your best content for free. Chris came on the show and he actually had a totally different perspective. And he said that he is not giving away anything for free anymore. And I thought that was really surprising. I just started doing webinars. So I was like sort of shocked, like, you know, such a big negotiation expert is saying this. And so I would love to hear from you why webinars are a great strategy and why you shouldn't be afraid of giving away your information for free.
0: So Chris is my boy, by the way. We're both Iowa boys. His father owned a gas station in, in the town I grew up in, and Chris would go down there and service it. So it's a very small world. And Chris and I get along pretty well, even though we, we have a lot of fundamental disagreements on things, which is always the interesting thing of life. Interestingly enough, Chris has wrote the best selling book on negotiations. And the way that I asked him how he sold that is he did it on podcasts. And on those podcasts, he gave away the best stuff for free. Now, maybe he's tired of doing that. I don't know. The other thing is Chris asked me one time to critique a webinar of his. Uh, he has a partner in the real estate space, uh, Steve Scholl. Yeah. He's still asking my advice on, on webinars at the time. but first of all, you should go with what you're good at. So there are some people that even if a webinar is a great tool to have in the toolkit, it might not be their go-to tool. There's something to be considerate of that. I don't really care what the tool is that we use, just the one that has the biggest impact. But what I've discovered for my goals in my business in my natural skill sets that I have before I even had to improve them, remember when I said I was always rapping, like when I was seven or eight? and in front of an audience. So I have zero hesitation to speak in front of groups of people. I have a fear of not public speaking, not a fear of public speaking. I'm quick on my feet, and I can really iterate just in the moment. I don't need a lot of prep work in order to do that. And I love selling. I just absolutely love selling. I didn't always love selling, but I grew to love selling. And so that's kind of where, where I'm coming from when I like the webinars, and then the business model that I have our goal is to find and offer up what we think is the best product to the market. And so how do we do that in mass? I want to do it in mass. I don't want to do it with a hundred clients that pay me, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a piece. I want to do that with like 10,000 clients that pay me 3,000 a piece. And then I want to, on the back end of that, maybe offer other services and continue to graduate them up and make them better and then help them get even better than that. So that's the foundation of where I'm coming from. Now, I like webinars. I think webinars make sense for the most people under the following context. So I do not like advertising that doesn't give value in it. Most advertising you see, there's no value in there. It's all sales. So then the thing is like, you have to take a chance on me. I'm annoying you right now with advertising, and then hopefully I'll make up for it with the product you purchase. So that, that never felt good to me. But well, webinars, let me give you value first, and then I'll make an offer second. So that always felt really good to me. Now, my friend, Jeff Walker, has the product launch formula. I love that. The only problem I had with it for me is I, I felt it took too long. Like, I didn't want to spend two weeks. I wanted to spend two hours. I felt like I could get almost the same result in two hours that you could building it over two weeks. And so I like things that are a little bit faster than what most people do is the ADHD side of me. I also like to sell at the high end of what the masses can can afford to purchase where you don't have to go one-to-one, but what's the price ceiling on that? And I don't do that just because I wanna make more money necessarily. I do that because we only can engineer the best solutions if we have the margins in order to invest to create those solutions. So my goal isn't how can I charge you more? My goal is how do we take $100,000 of value and somehow streamline it into a $2,000 offer. So we're we're doing that constantly. So when it comes to webinars, the foundation of what makes a webinar work or not is the offer. 80% of it is the offer. That's why Alex took what I what he saw from Genius Webinars and and helped him solidify what he did in $100 million dollar offers is that's the other example of where how can I suck at webinars and still do really well with them? Well, if I have a killer offer, then i can be okay on the webinar and still do really well i think a lot of people miss that i think what they do is they see the techniques that i use on webinars and the setups and the framework and the closes and they can model those that's easy to model but they missed how valuable and how well positioned the offer is and so that's where we want to start we want to start with what's a good offer so In a nutshell, I don't want to regurgitate what's already been said out there, but the number one thing that I'm looking for in an offer is I want the actual value of the components of that offer to be well-established and add up to a tremendous amount more money than what they have to invest to get in. And I want them to know that. So my book or your book or anybody's book as a bonus is not very good. Challenge with that is because there's a retail established price of 20 bucks, 10 bucks for a book. So people are like, cool, you just added $10 of value. Big deal. The kind of value I like is if I can go to you and negotiate and say, hey, listen, you've got this software over here. A year's license of this would cost the end user $1,000. Is there a way I can work with you to get a modified version of that software to distribute for, for free to my audience? And here's why it would be in your best interest. Because if I can teach them how to use your software in conjunction with my offer, more of them are going to upgrade and become paying members of yours. And that's going to be cheaper for you to get a paying member than whatever you're doing right now to advertise it, right? And nine out of 10 might say no, but one will say yes. And if I'm selling a $500 product and I'm giving $1,000 worth of software away for free, game over. The offer is better than free at that, at that state. If I can go in and find some way to create something that is not available anywhere else at any price point to anyone else, and it's only available for free as a bonus in this thing that I'm offering over there, then since you can't put a value on it because it's, it's impossible to buy, then the value is only limited to how you can demonstrate the value of it. And so these are the things that we're trying to do to create a really killer offer. And then we want results too. We have to be able to validate as many claims as we make. So it's one thing if I say I'm the best webinar guy in the world, right? whoop de doo You might end up believing me if you listen to me long enough. Maybe, right? But if I say I'm the only guy that Zoom's brought in to teach their users how to do webinars, and then I have the press release that shows that, and I can put that on a webinar slide, yeah, then it lands a lot differently. If I say I'm the most quoted person in Alex's book, that lands a bit differently. Even like with ClickFunnels is a great example of this. Uh, Russell learned from me that what we do is, in his case, as an offer, make the software free. That's what I said. Before that, they were struggling to sell ClickFunnels because they were like buying our software, buy our software. I said, make the software free, sell them a course, and then give them 12 months or six months or 18 months or whatever many months of the software for free. Because then they have a tiered system there, ABC, right? Give them the highest tier, 300 bucks a month you give them 12 months of that, that's a $3,600 value to buy a $997 course or a $2,000 course or a $1,500 course, whatever the price point is. And now people aren't focused on the minutia of the software. They're focused on, oh my God, what a great deal I'm getting on this software. I better buy it very quickly before it expires, right? So these are some of the things in which we want to do is we want have an offer. We want to be able to establish the value of it. So people see that it's a lot of value for a little price in comparison. And then we got to have the validity that what we're saying is true. That goes for the offer, but it also goes for everything else in the webinar.
1: We'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. I want to talk to all you employers out there and let's talk about company culture. That's free breakfast for life at hellofresh.com slash profiting free with code profiting free. You just dropped so many gems. I want to unpack a little bit of that. So first of all, you're saying add bonuses to your offer to make it as valuable as possible. And you're saying add bonuses that people can't like right away understand the price. They can't go on a website and see the price. They, can't, they have to basically use their imagination and, and decide what that value is going to be in terms of that bonus. So that's a really good one. Then you also start talking about introductions in your webinar in terms of cementing authority. So I'd love to, to move into that. So talk to us about cementing authority. You gave us one quick example, but go into depth.
0: Yeah, I mean, so ultimately what's going to persuade the most amount of, of people is when they hear you, they say, oh my God, I've never heard anybody else put it the way you're putting it. I've listened to 500 people on the topic for 500 hours, and I've paid $5,000. And what you said in the first 15 minutes completely blows all the rest out, just better than all the rest combined. It's that what we call the aha moment, the paradigm shift, if you will. The this changes everything when somebody hears it. And so I'm trying to set that foundation to set that up in the first 10-15 minutes of an introduction. And so. I will tell you these days, because I've evolved a lot over the years, and I, I only know 5% of all there is to know in webinars. The good news is everybody else only knows 2 or 3%.
1: <laughs> I think it's debatable, how much you know, but okay. <laughs>
0: I'm learning so much this year, the 15th year in webinars that, uh, that I didn't even know before. But one of the things that we do now in webinars that I think a lot of people uh, should do more of is we hit the objections right away. We immediately go into the paint. So one of the offers that I have out there is I started off like, so the product e-class, we just did this, this webinar closed at 34%. And we had over a thousand people on the webinar. So usually the more people you have, the, the less of the conversion rate you have, because who knows who's showing up to the webinars at that point. But we closed about one out of three, a little bit more than that, selling uh, product e-class. And the, the way I start that webinar is with a pop quiz. It's kind of fun because it's like the old speed movie pop quiz hot shot, which nobody gets anymore. So I can't say it like that, but that's what I originally used to say. But the first five true false questions I ask, and I ask them really quickly, are all tied to the pain points. Like true or false, you're supposed to, you need to be an expert in order to create an information product, and the answer to that is false. You know, true or false, the only way to be successful is you have to spend a lot of money on advertising to sell. False. Blah, blah blah blah. You got to spend a lot of time to create it. False. Right. So. I'm killing these limiting beliefs immediately that people are bringing in like baggage into the webinars. So I have another webinar, an Amazon webinar, which typically converts at about 15% on a third, on a $3,000 price point. So that's pretty insane. And I start off right away talking about like how in order to succeed in this business, you're going to need a good product, not just a good product, multiple good products, many products, high quality products. You're going to need to drive traffic to those products. And the number one thing that I've noticed that customers have trouble with is driving traffic. How are you going to compete with people that have more money than you and and are more sophisticated than you? you got to be able to convert the traffic you get. And that's persuasion. And persuasion is incredibly challenging. And for all of that to occur, you need trust. And so I'm setting up all of their excuses that they're going to give me later on when I sell the product. And I'm addressing them immediately right away. And I'm not giving them the answers necessarily. I'm letting them know that by the end of the webinar, they will have the answers to all these questions. How can that person right now who doesn't have a product to their name, has no idea, has no money, doesn't know how they're ever going to create a product, much less drive traffic or create conversion, who's all thumbs when it comes to tech, has no previous business experience. How the hell is that person going to succeed? Well, stay tuned. I'm going to show you how that person is going to succeed.
1: (laughs) I love that. So I know that you also create commitments for your audience. I thought this was really cool. You learned it from Robert Cialdini. Also been on the show. A uh, fun fact about Robert Cialdini is that he wants to create a course with me. So you're the webinar man. I'm the LinkedIn girl. So he wants to create a LinkedIn social influence course with me, which I'm so excited about. Because like you said, he's the goat when it comes to persuasion. So tell us about what you learned from Robert in terms of creating commitments.
0: Yeah. And it was funny because I actually got to meet uh, Robert and his wife, Bobette, and they're so sweet. And, and they said to me, they go, you might be the, the best student we've ever met. Because I was like quoting influence and persuasion like it was Bible verses.
1: I feel like all of us marketers are like obsessed with Robert Cialdini. Nobody, nobody quite understands. But go ahead. <laughs>
0: yeah. So I learned commitment and consistency from him. He, he really put a name to this concept that we were doing intuitively, which is when people make a commitment, they behave in ways that are consistent with it. And he says this in Persuasion, if you walk up to somebody and say, do you consider yourself an adventurous person? And then they say yes. And then, then you say, would you like to sign up for this email list? They're more likely to say yes, because it's congruent with the position that they just took of being adventurous. And so I'm always thinking, what are the mindsets that people need to be in to be most receptive to the information that I'm providing to them? And so we get commitments on that. The product E-class pitch goes like this, essentially. I mean, the introduction, I call it all the pitch, but in the intro, I say, here's my agenda today. I have two things that I want to have happen. The first thing is my goal is to show you how to do blank before the end of this webinar. In my particular case I'm going to show you how you can create a high quality information product in two hours or less that you can go out and sell and make tens of thousands of dollars. I'm going to lay that bare. That's the first agenda that I have on this webinar today is to show you how to do that. And then I say, my second agenda is to sell you something. I said, however, if I don't make good on my first promise, then I don't want you to buy anything that I ever offer to you. However, if I do make good on my first promise, where I actually show you and you believe that you can do that, then you should feel obligated to purchase what I'm offering you at the end. And then I tie it down. This is where we get commitment. I go, does that sound fair? Or deal, question mark, something along those lines. And people say, yes. The whole premise of the true-false opener in Product D class is to get them to interact and make commitments to say things like true and to say things like false. So we don't want to have presentations. We want to have conversations. That's what I've always say about webinars. And so even if I'm not directly interacting with you, I'm always throwing it to you for consideration. I'll say, I'll say, how does that land with you, for example? Or I say, I've noticed that there are three types of people that we encounter when it comes to X. There are one, there are two, there are three. Which of these three do you think best describe you? And I'm trying to get them to put stuff in the chat, but that's less important than if I can have them mentally. In my head, I want to see them nod in their head, yes, as certain key instances. And so I'm getting these interactions with them. So I'm not just talking at them. I'm communicating with them. And then I'm getting them to say things and agree with them, as opposed to me saying things and them just agreeing with me. I think this commitment is one of the biggest lost arts that we see. Every single time I make a very powerful point on a webinar, I tie it down with a commitment phrase. I'll say, so can you see yourself doing this? Or now that you know this, does that make a little difference in your life or a big difference in your life? Or I'll say, when's the first opportunity you can see yourself putting this into action? And now people are looking at the future in the present, and they're not just agreeing with you, they're seeing themselves in their mind first, do what you're teaching. So therefore, when you ask them to do it for real, it feels a lot more comfortable.
1: Mm. And so let's dig on that a little bit. It's really important for people to understand that there's hope for the future. Why?
0: Oh, God, yeah. Right. So here's the reality. Almost anything you saw to almost anybody, they're trying to escape pain. Their life is miserable. Nobody goes to a therapist and says, hey, listen, I'm doing really good. I want to go great. Like, hook it up, right? They go to a therapist because they're depressed. They can't even get out of bed in the morning and brush your teeth. It's gotten that bad. They're doing it out of desperation. So almost everybody who's spending serious money is doing so to escape a massive pain. So we got to meet them in the pain. This is the biggest mismatch I see with successful entrepreneurs selling to audiences who aspire to be successful just like them is you know the successful entrepreneur their life is easy related to that issue that they're teaching about and their audience related to that issue their life is very hard so we spend a lot of time in the, in the darkness we help them get out of hell before we get them into heaven but there has to be some heaven too there has to be a reason to fight for today with the hopes that there's a better tomorrow So, most people do one or the other. They're all pot of gold at the end of the rainbow when they're mismatched with their audience who's suffering, or they stay in suffering. They take their headache and they turn it into a migraine and then they sell them a Tylenol, right? Like, we got to do both. Making the sell is only the beginning of the journey. If I make the sell and I don't help you as a customer, I'm doing myself no favors because I'm not creating the capacity for you to want to do more business with me in the future. I'm actually. Designing it so you do less business with me in the future. We run a mastermind; it's called Driven. It's twenty five thousand dollars per member, and we do four in person events. And we were ju- we just did one a couple weeks ago. And Pace Morby was one of the guests. If this guy ain't going to be a billionaire soon, I don't know who is. Just dude is just killing it. And I was interviewing Pace from the stage, and he's talking about how his customers in their community meet other customers and then get married and then they have a baby. And then I joked from stage, I said, oh, a future customer, right? (laughs) (laughs) And everybody thought I was joking, and I was, but I wasn't completely joking. I'm like, that is a future customer, two customers getting married to have a baby. You are literally creating a population of future customers. And that's what I want. So not only does commitment and consistency move through the purchase into the action phase, which increases your success stories, but this whole concept of, If we just scare them into buying, we might get their money once, but we didn't empower them. We've actually created trauma. So we got to sell the hope that tomorrow will be better today. And then we have to anchor that down and build upon that in the actual product to see it through so we can make more money and serve more people in the future.
1: Could you describe what you mean by anchor and the concept of anchors?
0: Yeah. So this one's a little tricky. Uh, We'll start with price anchoring, because that's the easiest way for, for somebody to understand the concept of anchoring. There was a study done where they asked a group of people, what's the last two digits of your social security number? And then after they asked them that, then they would say to them, how much do you think this house over here appraises for? And what they discovered, and this is fascinating, is people with higher digits, the last two digits of their social security number, looked at that house and appraised it at a higher value than people with a lower digit. A higher number was anchored in their mind. So therefore they saw that through in the value of the product. So one of the closes that I, I teach people, is, I think it's a dumb close, but damn, does it work, is it'll go something along these lines. I'll say, you know, we're 93 million miles from the sun, yet it gives everything that we need to all 8 billion people that are on this planet. And I'm asking you just 997 to invest today. So it's like we went from $93 million and $8 billion to 997 It seems insignificant, right? So that's price anchoring. We're anchoring the value vis-a-vis larger amounts of money elsewhere, therefore making it insignificant. If you want to look more attractive, stand next to people who, who look kind of like you, but not as good as you do. And relatively speaking, people will rate you as more attractive than objectively on your own in a vacuum. So anchoring is setting up a... St- a circumstance of conditions that emotional states can be tied to things. So if you have a loved one, looking at that picture of that loved one will trigger positive emotions in you. That's an anchor. So what we're trying to do is anchor our offer and anchor our insights into these powerful emotional states. And then once we anchor, we can amplify. So one of the examples I I teach about that is storyboarding testimonials. Nobody does this. And sometimes I swear I make things way more complicated than they need because a great offer, all this stuff is, is secondary. It's incremental at this point. But here's the problem with testimonials that are really good. They take like five minutes to explain. And on a webinar, that's the kiss of death. It's boring. The pacing is too long. It's too tedious. And so to solve that problem, I started storyboarding testimonials. So I'd bring up the testimonial and only share a little tiny bit of that in the introduction. In the middle point, when I was teaching something that this person did in the testimonial perfectly, after I teach it, I would tie it down by bringing that testimonial back in and unpacking the story a little bit more. And then when it came time to make the offer, at some point strategically in the offer, I would reveal that testimonial and I'd tell the final portion of the story. So here's how that worked so well that I didn't realize it at first was I was anchoring it. When somebody saw that testimonial the first time, whatever emotional state I could set that they could evoke towards that and lock it in, I would just have to show the picture the second time on the slide, and that would immediately engage that emotional state again, just like that, would bring it back. And then I would amplify it because I would build upon it. And then I'd do it a third time. Then now I'm bringing back an even more powerful emotional state and taking it to the next level still. And so anchoring it and then amplifying it. So what I didn't realize is I was just trying to make the testimonial more interesting, but be able to tell more of it. What I discovered was, and I have three testimonials, even though it's one person, they still treated it like three. So I got three times the amount of testimonials from the same amount of people. But also, qualitatively, they landed stronger because of that anchor effect. And so we are trying to anchor the things that will allow people to move forward towards our products and purchase them and be successful with them. And we're trying to anchor these lesser states, by the way, with behaviors that they should no longer engage in. So we can anchor the feeling of fear to procrastination. So now they're more afraid to procrastinate than they are to take action. And then as a, re- as a result, action occurs automatically. So these are some of the ways in which we can finesse and use anchors in our webinars. It's kind of esoteric, but it's fascinating.
1: <laughs> I love this kind of stuff. Everything that you're saying, I'm just like, oh my God, I need to go get his like course right away and like read every single book that you've ever written. So I love it. Okay. One last question on introductions. I know that you also advise to create mystery and intrigue. How can we do this in our introduction?
0: The, the easiest way is through bullet points, right? So by the end of this webinar, you're going to discover, and then you say something that's very intriguing and exciting, but incomplete, like. The three-step phase that you, need to en- that you need to enable for customers to feel more comfortable doing business with you. I'm just making this up, but it's like, what's that three-state phase? I don't know what that is. So if nothing else, here's what you do. You go through your webinar and you look at every interesting point that you make and you turn it into a bullet point, a blind bullet point, as we call it, where you tell them some amazing outcome, but you, you don't tell them how that outcome is going to occur an article written in 1957 in an obscure scientific magazine uh, that automatically, the first time I applied it, doubled my conversion rate. You're like, what's that? What's the article? What's the thing? I got to go and I got to see what that is. And so that's base level how I would recommend that you do it. On this webinar, you'll discover and then tease them about some of the things coming down the pipeline. So that's one of the ways that you can create mystery and intrigue. The other way, though, that I like to use is with, with tension and drama. So I showed you earlier when I said, you know, I have two agendas here today or two goals. One is, will I be able to show you how to do X? And they're like, I don't think he will. They're like, God, it'd be nice if he did, but it sounds borderline impossible. So I'm going to watch just to see if he can actually make the impossible happen. I don't think he can, but I want to see. I want to stick around and find out. This is why I'm not a big fan of if you stay till the end, then I'll give you this bonus for free which is a technique almost everybody else does. Two reasons I'm not a fan of it. Reason number one, almost everybody else does it. So I don't want to look like everybody else. That's, then they'll judge me like they judge everybody else. Talk about an anchor, right? But the second reason is I feel like there's better ways to create stickiness where people will stay on and will watch and be riveted and glued. And one of those ways is with drama and tension. Other ways are with just creating a whole bunch of open loops, like what we're talking about here is by the end of the webinar, you'll discover X, Y, and Z. And they're like, I got to stick around and figure out what that is. And even with the testimonials, when you storyboard, you can say, and that's how John started, wait till you discover what John did next. And they're like, oh my God, I got to stick around and figure out what that is. This is, by the way, like in articles and on social media, like seven ways to blank or nine tips for blank, or the four things you should never do with blank are so attractive. Because you know there's four. Right now, you don't know what those are and you, you want to collect them.
1: Young and Profiters, I'm sorry to cut this episode off short, but this is such a great episode and Jason is dropping so many gems that I just kept asking him questions and he just kept staying on. And so we ended up talking for over an hour and a half. And so we split the episode into two parts. And we're going to drop part two of the episode Friday. So stay tuned for that. I am blown away by the OG of webinars himself, Jason Fladline. He dropped so many gems during today's interview. It's no wonder he works with people like Russell Brunson and Joe Polish. It's no wonder he was the most quoted person in Alex Ramosi's book, $100 Million Offers. Jason is known as the webinar guy, but the beginning of today's episode was really about offers and offer development, because that's where he says we should start. We got to start with a good offer. He says people, you know, they try to copy his webinars, his techniques, they try to model his closes and the way he does commitments. But what they miss out on is the importance of a good offer. And when it comes to creating a good offer, we talked about starting with an exclusive beta launch. The trick here is to select the right people to test. You want to reach out to customers who are predisposed to success or need the least amount of effort to get the best results. That way, they're more likely to like your product and give you testimonials before you officially launch. With credibility established with social proof and testimonials, people will be willing to buy your product because they're gonna feel like somebody else tested it and there's less risk in buying your product. Another way to close more deals is to generate as much value as possible for a comparatively low price. How can you offer $10,000 worth of value for $2,000 while only spending $1,000 in the process? That doesn't mean you sell your products for cheap. It means you pack so much value into the offer that the price point feels like a bargain for what your audience will get. Like it would be stupid not to take the deal. You can increase the value of your offer by doing things like bonuses and adding bonuses to it. You can do this by forming strategic partnerships. Like Jason mentioned, he talked about working with a software company, becoming an affiliate, get your clients to test their product for free, and hopefully they upgrade to a paid version so it's a win-win for everyone. To give you guys another example of how you do it, I asked Jason to put together a 30-minute how to launch your first webinar course for my LinkedIn masterclass course so that I could give my students a bonus course as part of joining my course. And I've done that with a lot of different past guests like Michael McCallowitz on offer development or Richard Moore on LinkedIn sales. And it's a win-win for everyone. There's more exposure and potential sales for the people who give me the course. There's more learnings from my students who don't necessarily have to buy the course, but they can if they want. And it's a way for me to add value to my course without adding to the bottom line. When you leverage this bonus strategy, your customers can't easily understand what the price should be and they have to use their imagination to decide whether or not your offer is worth it. And so we got to touch on webinars before we closed out the interview. And I don't know about you guys, but this kind of stuff to me is really exciting because it's so practical. It's something I have control over and it's free. Webinars are free. You don't need paid ads. You could do this by shooting DMs on social media and just getting people signed up to your webinar. And so for me, I'm really getting into webinars and they're working really well for me. So I took copious notes and listened back to the interview several times. And I figured, you know, I took the notes. I may as well read them to you guys. So I'm sure you're going to appreciate that. And I'm going to do that for part two as well. So some key things to recap is that when you're starting off your webinar, you want to address pain points and limiting beliefs. Jason mentioned starting off with a short pop quiz with true or false questions meant to diffuse people's limiting beliefs. So for example, I'll give you a quick one. I have a LinkedIn course, and so I might open up with a true false question. You need to be an expert to be an influencer on social media. Or true or false, you need to spend thousands of dollars on paid ads to go viral. He also talked about commitment and consistency. Let's talk about commitment first. Saying commitments is basically getting people to say they're gonna do something and having them envision themselves doing that thing in the future. So what you could say is things like, can you see yourself doing this? Now that you know this, does it make a little difference or a big difference in your life? So you get them to commit to do the thing that you're trying to sell them throughout the webinar. And when it comes to consistency, it's really about getting people to say yes, because people are likely to say yes when they're already saying yes. So you can say things like, does this sound fair? Does that sound okay with you? Is it okay if I tell you about my offer? Are you in? Right? So you can just get people to say yes, 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 yes. And then finally, are you in? Are you going to take the offer? Yes. Remember, a webinar is a conversation, not a presentation. He also spoke about anchoring, anchoring your price by mentioning higher numbers. What we're trying to do is anchor our offer and anchor our insights into powerful emotional states. And then once we anchor, we can amplify. He gave storyboarding testimonials as an example. So he said that five minute testimonials can kill the mood. It's happened to me before case studies, reading any sort of testimonials, they can get really boring. And so it's better to spread them out and amplify them over time. It could be multiple testimonials, which is what I do. And it could be what Jason recommended, which is taking one testimonial and breaking it apart, which I've never done before. And it sounds really interesting. So basically you start off with a story. And in the beginning, everyone's really hype. Everyone's really excited to be there, right? They're saying, yes, I'm ready to learn. You're catching them in that emotional state. And then when they first hear this first testimonial, they're gonna stay in this emotional state every time they hear this testimonial throughout the presentation. You're gonna keep unraveling the testimonial. And at the end, right before you make your offer, you're gonna give them the amazing result from this testimonial. And this emotional state that they had from the beginning is gonna amplify and amplify and amplify over time. So really cool strategy. And lastly, he talked about creating mystery and intrigue. So teasing out stuff that you aren't sharing in the beginning of the webinar and giving it away at the end of the webinar so they keep staying on. You want people to keep hanging on and listening. And next week, you're gonna find out you want people to stay on for three hours at least so you can build the trust. You can also create tension and drama by telling people something that seems impossible that they'll learn by the end of the webinar or by creating open loops. By the end of the webinar, you'll discover X, Y, Z. All right, well, that concludes all of my notes. Part two of this episode drops this Friday, June 23rd. We'll talk about length, when and how to make your offer, to pre-record or not pre-record, how to handle objections, and so much more. Thanks for listening to this episode of Young and Profiting Podcast. If you listen, learn, and profited, share this episode with your friends and family and drop us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. If you like watching your podcast videos, you can find us on YouTube. You can also find me on Instagram at hala or LinkedIn by searching my name, it's Hala Taha. Big shout out to my amazing and hard-working YAP team. Thanks for all that you do behind the scenes. This is your host Halataha signing off.